Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Galver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, I'm still adjusting to this whole off-season one podcast per week thing. I think there's some pros and cons to it. Obviously, the pro, we have a little bit more downtime. But one of the cons would definitely be if you zing me, you know, if you come at me a little bit, it stings, it lingers a little bit longer than maybe it would if I could come back at you, you know, twice a week like we usually do. And, you know, last week you got in a couple of digs, Andrew. You know, I was expressing, uh, you know, my awkward interaction with the Milwaukee Bucks employee. And I think you said something along the lines of, you know, I'm not a normal person. And then at the end of the podcast, in a really condescending tone, you kind of came at me and said something like, well, go back to doing whatever it is you do. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes. Well, let me clarify just for a second, okay? When I said you weren't a normal person, I meant that out of affection. And when I said uh-huh. whatever it is you do, I think part of me is probably a little jealous of the fulfillment that you enjoy as you kind of amble through the universe and living your your Gulliver life. I, well, I love it. I'm glad you tried to get in front of it because I do think sometimes <laughs> condescension comes from fear of the unknown or, or maybe a little bit of envy. Who knows? But I thought what I would do, Andrew, is tell you exactly what I've been up to because you've kind of asked for it with that statement last week. And I know it's the off season; We don't have a ton of pressing issues to discuss. So I want to paint exactly what I've been up to here over the last week. How's that sound? Can I interrupt you for, before, before we head down that road? Let me just say that Ben reached out to me via text (laughs) message two days ago and warned me that he had the opening of the podcast planned, which, as we know, is the scariest feeling in the world. It's really harrowing when you send that. Uh, And I just trigger warning for anyone who is new to the show and just happens to be looking for a basketball podcast in August. It's not always like this, but it is the offseason. So I will let you take the wheel, Ben. I've been up to four things, Andrew. Count them four, okay? First, I've been dealing with deep conversations with Rob Mahoney about the top 100, okay? We've been arguing Westbrook versus Giannis in every possible direction, just wasting hours of my life doing that exercise. You know I hate it, I love it, I love to hate it, and I hate to love it, right? (laughs) It's what you do. That's number one. Number two, I've been going for long, beautiful walks in the sunshine. I've been trying to get right and tight after the playoffs. You know, I eat a lot of junk food on the road, unfortunately, trying to get myself back in shape, going for some very nice, long, sunny walks here in Southern California. Number three, I've been diving headfirst into the Headspace app. Now, people probably already know about that. It's a meditation app, a wellness app, Andrew. I highly recommend it. I'm not being paid for that endorsement. Actually, I should probably say I've been listening to Headspace while at Buffalo Wild Wings shaving with one blade or something like that, (laughs) uh, just so that we like cover all of our sponsor grounds. But I've been meditating five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. I love it. It's been great. And the fourth thing... I've been watching World War II in color. Now, can you guess what that's about? (laughs) Yeah, I can guess. They take footage from World War II, remaster it in color, and it's like a 13-part miniseries. They really dive deeply into it. It's not for the casual person. Now, Andrew, I mentioned these four things because all four came to a head the other day. I was on one of my walks. I had walked three miles 
and I was feeling like I needed a halftime break. What do you know? Boom. Beautiful park. I decide to sit down on a grassy knoll, cue up the Headspace app. What better time to meditate uh, than being at you know a nice park? And they're always telling you, listen to the sounds around you. So I'm hearing sneaker squeaks. I'm hearing butterflies dancing around my head. I'm hearing the nice breeze through the reed grass. You know, it's a very, very calming experience. But wait, as wait, wait. A, yes. can I ask you something? Were there sneaker squeaks at the park? Because that seems implausible to me. Yes, there there were people playing basketball on cement, and there's sne- maybe it's not quite squeak, but maybe scuff. If you want to be completely accurate, <laughs> um, okay. But the point is, you were investing in your own serenity, just meditating in the middle of a park. I like that. No, if the, if what you're trying to do is point out that there was like ten people playing basketball and there was one guy on the side with his legs crossed, uh, <laughs> breathing deeply in and out, and no one knew what he was doing, the answer is yes, Andrew. That was me. And look, I'm not too worried about it. Okay, I'm I'm comfortable. I'm just fact checking the story here. I'm just trying to keep you accountable. Look, I'm comfortable in my sunburned skin. Okay, no problem. Now. Here's where the World War II and here's where the Top 100 kicks in. You're supposed to let your mind drift to wherever it goes, Andrew. You know, when you're uh-huh. meditating, you're not really supposed to like try to, you know, focus on one thing. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden these conversations with Rob are coming together and they're melding with what I have just learned about like the Battle of the Bulge or D-Day or Pearl Harbor or what it might be. And all of a sudden, my mind decides, you know what? You need to power rank all of the countries and the characters of World War II. This is like your new calling. And so very quickly, as my mind goes to this place, I start to think, okay, well, that should be pretty easy. Like, obviously, like America... We're number one. And of course, I'm starting to get these comps in my mind like, okay, Pearl Harbor was kind of like the 2011 NBA Finals. So probably like LeBron is the United States. And then I'm thinking like, okay, you know, we often refer to, you know, Russell Westbrook's relentless spirit. So maybe he's sort of the Japanese. I'm going all these different directions, right? And then I'm realizing like, uh, this could land me in some serious hot water because <laughs> I, I get to Germany, right? And I'm like, yeah. okay, obviously, this is the easiest call of the entire exercise. Germany should be the very last rank. They committed all of the worst atrocities that mankind has ever known, right? But unfortunately, my mind wandered and it reminded me, Andrew, of that old mantra that I have told you, which is never judge people on their best day or their worst day. So I was finding oh my, my mind exploding at this park, thinking like, no, I need to do a more balanced analysis of Germany's role in World War II here. I need to give them credit do for people the- people see why I get <laughs> worried when you send me these text messages? I We are not doing this for more than like 90 seconds more, okay? But I'll let you continue with wherever this is going. So I'm sitting there thinking, I have to have a more balanced analysis. I can't just rush to judgment and say America's number one, Germany's dead last, right? And so finally, the the meditation guy is like, hey, dude, like the voice is like, you know, you can come back to open your eyes and like, you know, look around you. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) So he's telling me this. Thank you, Headspace. (laughs) I'm looking around, like half the guys on the basketball court are like looking over at me. So I don't know if I've been like lashing out, you know, if like I've been making like arm movements as I'm going through this like very deep dive into World War II history. 
But the uh-huh. moral of this whole story, Andrew, is that number one, you were right. I don't think I'm a normal person. I think you're right on that point. I'm going to just concede that right <laughs> off the top. And number two, I really am thinking differently about this top 100 exercise anymore, Andrew. Should we really be like numerically ranking other human beings once you like apply it to something that actually matters, like global history, like life, yeah. death, you know, freedom, democracy, communism, like all these huge big picture ideas, the whole exercise really doesn't hold up. We should not be power ranking the countries in World War II, and I'm not sure we should be power ranking <laughs> the NBA players. So right now I'm kind of in a crisis, and I need you kind of to convince me that I should con- continue doing my job here by ranking these guys because it's been a real tough mental journey here at the last 72 yeah. hours. Yeah, I hear you for sure. And I, I'm glad that you came to the correct conclusion, which is that power ranking countries gets awfully problematic, particularly countries involved in a war. I mean, I don't know. It was going to be very difficult to do that segment without getting fired or run off the internet. Um, <laughs> I know, because but... seriously, like when you look at France, right? Like they didn't really have an active role in the war. I mean, not really. They're and then you look pretty at, low, yeah. Right, but then you look at Italy and they have this total blunder where they go into Africa, it doesn't work, and then Mussolini's being you know hung by his ankles in a town square, right? Like how do you compare and contrast those two experiences and decide that one is like number four versus one is number five? It's not easy. Easy, Andrew. Well, you definitely don't, and you pray like <laughs> hell that no one is listening to your NBA podcast in the middle of August. Um, where would would you have Russia above America on the World War II rankings? So here's the thing: that was where World War II in color, the movie, really swung me because I was starting right. to think I was starting to think that because look, like the atomic bombs. I mean, that's a real blight that we look we kind of like gloss over. Uh, in American sure. history, but World War II in color really pointed out how, you know, ruthless the Russians were in terms of their treatment of the German civilians, especially German women, uh, in the yeah. latter stages of the war. And so, if you're trying to like counterbalance who had the more negatives there, you know, I, I maybe it's the American in me talking, but I think we probably still come out on top. And also, keep in mind, we won in two theaters, too, Andrew. You know, we. Uh, we didn't really need their help uh, so much against the Japanese. So maybe that right. puts us on top. But this is what I'm saying. We shouldn't be having these conversations, Andrew. They're not appropriate. And- <laughs> they are definitely not appropriate in any way. Uh, so we'll move on to the top 100 side of this. Because, well, first of all, to circle back, I, I do think it would have it been tough to win the war without Russia, though. I mean, they kind of took down Germany they had a, a far more important role in in Europe than America did. Is that correct? Uh, I mean, they they have they're they're definitely underrated. I mean, Russia's Paul Millsap. Okay, like they're right. they're they're <laughs> grinding out for years and years and years. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. But we were a little bit late coming. You know, we don't always mention that uh, when we tell the World War II history here. 
But look, you're exactly. falling, Andrew. You're falling into the trap here. This was not supposed to be <laughs> power ranking World War II, and I can All see right. you wanting to do it. And I actually, to be honest, this makes me feel better because at least there's two depraved minds, right? Because I was exactly. coming on here. You're not it, a sociopath, or at least you're not a sociopath all by yourself. Yeah, uh, alone. I'm here I, for you. <laughs> I'm not a lonely sociopath. But no, I mean, like, if you go Britain versus Russia, like, who was more important to taking down Germany? I think Russia's got a strong argument. I think that's where you're going, right? Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. And it's it's also one of those things that growing up in America, I didn't really learn about Russia's role in World War II until I was, like, 20 or 21 years old and in college and on the internet. Like, you just don't really learn about it in, like, grade school. Uh, so it was kind of interesting to find out how important they were. As for the top 100, man, it was, I mean, this is easy. Like you, you do the top 100 because that's what you do. That's, this is the life you've chosen. Okay. Are you right that it's a little bit cold hearted and inhumane to rank other humans and try to reduce someone like Russell Westbrook to a number seven or number eight and troll a bunch of people on the internet and deal with all kinds of hateful comments like, no, that's not a productive way to live your life, but that's what you do, okay? So you can't turn back now. You have to embrace it. And my favorite part about the entire Top 100 experience goes back to a, a conversation we had in Vegas at Summer League two years ago when I had never met Rob Mahoney before, and I had only met you in person once or twice. We've been podcasting for like, two or three months and you guys were talking about the top 100 starting to hash it out a little bit and i sat with you guys it was like listen like this is a no-brainer awesome podcast idea just get on the phone and record all these debates it'll be really fun and both of you look back at me with these like thousand yard stares and just <laughs> like nobody wants to listen to what we have to say about the top 100 it is far too nerdy for public consumption. And so I'm glad that that's how you're spending your August in addition to relitigating World War II. No no question. I'm glad you mentioned Westbrook, Andrew, because I actually was, one of the thoughts when I was meditating was whether a Blitzkrieg is fighting with purpose or a purpose. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I was trying to remember... Because earlier on, you talked about learning some of your useless aphorisms uh, from Headspace. And is it aphorisms or aphorisms? I screwed this up the first time around. You know, I, I don't. I think it's aphorisms. I think you got it. Okay. All right. Well, I was trying to remember some of your random pablum that has accumulated on the podcast over the years. And I couldn't remember the Westbrook one, but you're right. Purpose versus a purpose. I look well, forward to random uh, World War II analogies peppered throughout the top 100. A yeah, special I mean, not, treat for open floor listeners. Not to go back to your Russia thing, but the greatest ability is availability. And Russia was very available. They made all of their citizens <laughs> available during World War II. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on here to something a little bit more anchored in traditional podcast fare. I don't want to do too much on this because this is very much like the Bill Simmons, Joe House corner, but they did come out with the NBA over-unders earlier this week. And we should. Jonas asked me, I tweeted about it, and Jonas replied to this tweet and said, 
which NBA over-under should I bet my mortgage on this year? Which is a callback to last year when I think on this very podcast, I uh, implored people to take out a second loan on their house and use the money to bet the Sixers under, which clearly would have been a disastrous choice. So hopefully nobody ever did that. Uh, but <laughs> Didn't they cover seen... even before they won the last 13 games of the season? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was the funniest part is we got to like November and it was clear that they were going to, or maybe it wouldn't, November, December, it became clear that the Sixers were actually good and anyone who bet the under was completely screwed. But I will say, going back, like when I was pitching the Sixers under, I added that this is why I'm glad that there aren't casinos nearby me and that gambling isn't legal or wasn't at that point. Because had I had the opportunity, I absolutely would have bet like an irresponsible amount of money on the Sixers under last year. So let me ask you, Ben, have you seen the over-unders thus far? And do you have any favorite bets? Well, so let me ask you, first of all, now that gambling is legal because Adam Silver's out there with MGM and all this stuff recently, I mean, are you in a cardboard box yet or are you still uh, are you still solvent or what kind of a situation <laughs> are we talking about? So the, the legalized gambling thing is a little bit misleading because I don't know, I still have nowhere to, to gamble. Like there's no casino in DC. Like I could go out to um, Maryland and find a casino, but I don't think that they have a, a sports book yet. So it's just we're in kind of a weird gray area now where like internet gambling is is all good at this point. Um, but for now, and for, it's definitely for the best, uh, it's still difficult for me to go out and like drop $500 betting on over-unders in the middle of August. So I, I take heart that I have a little bit a little bit longer before things get really real. Well, I think the ones that I saw the most were the ones that kind of angered the most people. Um, I, I'll admit I didn't pour over these because I'm not a gambler and I, you know, think it's a degenerate Don't act really to gamble. Don't really give a shit, sure. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I think Portland at 41.5, San Antonio at 43.5, and then Indiana at 47.5. I think for some reason that garnered the most outrage. I think maybe it's just their fan bases all felt like they were being disrespected or those were the ones that people kind of consensus determined were smart over picks um, mm-hmm. of those three. And I think you're, you're going to agree with me. Don't you think San Antonio is the safest of those three to go over um, yes. at 43.5? Yeah, I feel pretty confident. And this is one of those things where in July and August, I am like a hundred percent certain that the Spurs are going to go win 47, 48, 49 games next year. And we could look up in the middle of November and that, that might be a corner I'm, I'm ready to move off of like very early in the year. But I, I'm, I'm confident in Spurs. What can I say? It's like, especially coming back with a team that they, they're actually going to know who they have next year, and DeRozan is going to be productive and motivated. I don't know. I, I can't see them winning sub-45 next year. Because um, that's the, the thing. Portland, like they, they well, Hold on, though, because they could win 44, go over, and still miss the playoffs, right? Like That feels yeah. like a very comfortable cushion there where like they don't even have to have their 
like a good season to win 44, right? Like they could, you know, they could have a disastrous, we're missing the playoffs for the first time in in years and years and years, and and we're still over. The Portland one and the Indiana ones, though, are are interesting to me because I I do understand the, the rash judgment of being like, whoa, those both seem really low based on, you know, their talent and how they performed last season. Yeah, but uh, with Portland, I can kind of see the other argument too, right? Like if there's going to be a team that just sputters and flounders and decides like the chemistry just isn't right this year, right? It could it could be them. I mean, I'm not saying I would bet the under. I mean, I think I I can see the arguments for the over for sure. Like you know, Dame and CJ are just going to guarantee you a certain baseline of wins with their scoring ability, but yeah. they also have had really good health from Dame uh, in recent years. And one injury, and their their bench is going to screw everything up. So I don't know. I don't think the Portland one as, was as crazy as some people thought it was. Yeah, I mean, it's not crazy. But at the same time, if you think about the balls it would have to take to, to go under 41. Like, I, if, you're, if you're expecting them to win 41 or 42 games and finish 10th, that I understand, and I actually kind of like it because coming into this season, I feel like not enough people have been talking about the the very real red flags there are with the Blazers. I mean, this is a team that kind of overachieved last season, got blown out of the first round, and didn't really do much over the summer to, to change the nucleus there or improve much of anything. And the bench yeah. got thinner. And like, Yeah, that's not only that, they, they lost concerning. guys, right? I mean, Ed Davis, Shabazz, I mean, those are players yeah. that played real roles for them. And so, you know, if they tread water at best, then they're going to require as good of health as they had last year. And they've also just kind of had some fits and starts with this group in general, right? Like they've, they've had the overachiever cycle. They've had the underachiever cycle. So I guess to me that one didn't seem quite as crazy. Uh, it's you know. it's not crazy, but the reason I would still go over on that particular bet is just Lillard and McCollum are so good and so consistent throughout the year that it's just too hard for me to imagine them not winning 43 to 47 games. And I also think that just from a grander perspective, I just kind of look at that Blazers team and I think that they're stuck in some sort of like Sisyphean narrative where Dame and CJ are always going to make it fun and it's all and they're always going to overachieve just enough to suck people in and then it's going to get disappointing and the ceiling becomes clear every spring I just think that's kind of the loop that they're in and I don't see that ending this year so that's my Blazers thought yeah and in terms of Indiana, I've mentioned this before, but like this whole idea of the plexiglass principle, if you have this big breakout positive season, you're actually more likely to kind of come back to earth a little bit the following year than to continue to build on that. And I've seen yeah. a ton of Pacers optimism, at least relatively speaking, you know, here over the past month, you know, we don't hear about that much about the Pacers, but I do think there's a lot of people who are picking them as like, you know, a three or a four seed in the Eastern Conference. And you know, they've got a core that's potentially this, you know, great growing core. I mean, I think everything went right for them last year. They were absolutely atrocious if Oladipo was off the court. If he misses yeah. any level of time, the losses are going to stack up. And I guess I'm just not completely sold on their overall talent base where their numbers at 47.5, 
I think if they covered, that would be a really good season for them. If they fell short, I wouldn't be, you know, surprised by that at all. So I, I don't know. I agree. With that, that one didn't seem I, crazy to me at either, and I and I saw a lot of outrage around that one. That's interesting. I think we probably followed different people on Twitter. I didn't see anyone outraged about the Pacers, but I think that outrage is completely misplaced if people think that indiana is coming in with like a a clear 50 win team next year that makes no sense to me i I mean the pacers they are good enough to get excited if you are a pacers fan but i think everybody else should sort of wait and see with this team because frankly nobody was sold on anything indiana was doing until that first round series against the Cavs, and (laughs) the Cavs were a disaster man like they that team was a complete mess and so i don't know how much we really learned about how real that pacers team was last year because they still lost the series and like darren collison i'm pretty sure shot like 45 percent from three last year don't see that happening again not sure how real Tyreek Evans was so like there's a lot the best case version of the Pacers next year is the second best team in the east but there's also a a lot of variants that could land them in in fifth or sixth or even seventh so uh, let's just chill on Pacers hype so I that's a stay away from me do you want to hear about my stone cold lock bet your mortgage over under of the year? Yes, of course. <laughs> Andrew Sharp reports you're going to get rich <laughs> from what he's about to say here. Here it comes. Drum roll, please. Okay. Well, there are really two, and I tweeted about them over the weekend, so anyone who follows me on Twitter already knows this, but the two that I feel Come most on. comfortable <laughs> about. <laughs> the Celtics, build the hype here <laughs> the Celtics at 57 and a half games like again I'm really glad that I don't live near a casino I would bet a lot of money on them going over next year I think the Celtics are going to win more games than the Warriors I think that they're going to be the Rockets of of 2018 and 2019 where we look up in March and they're pushing toward like 64 or 65 wins so again Whatever you have in your bank account that you're willing to throw down on Brad Stevens and company, I would do it. And by the way, I had a friend of mine write to me complaining about all the Celtics optimism I've been throwing out on the pod this summer. And I apologize, but they're going to be really, really good. It's going to be miserable for Celtics haters everywhere. No, I mean, you're doing you're, you're doing exactly the right smart thing to do, which is kiss up before it gets ugly. I understand that completely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just playing the pu- long game here. I'm puckered and, up too. Look, we know our overlords are coming, our green overlords. We've been you know, be dreading awful. it oh. for a couple of years. But yeah, I, I think I said this before, but like, you know, Celtics super team, I think that's going to be something that we start hearing more and more next season, right? Like when they're fully healthy, when they've got – you know, five potential all-stars on the court at the same time. Like, I, I do think there's lots of reason for optimism. You know, 57 yeah. and a half is a lot, though. I mean, that totally. doesn't make you doesn't make you flinch a little bit. Like, you're, that's, that's pretty high. It doesn't. And again, I mean, the, the, the level of confidence that I feel is its own red flag, and everyone else should sort of take heed there. But I feel pretty good about where the Celtics are going to be. And then the other one that I would add, and this is another thing we've been over uh, a couple weeks ago, the Sixers are not winning more than 50 games. The fact that the number is at 54 and a half is completely insane to me, and I would go under hard. So for the second year in a row, bet your mortgage on the Sixers under, thank me later, 
everyone go out there and get rich. If you guys want uh, the Ben Golver five-star locks, it's going to be Celtics under, Sixers over. Take them to the bank. This is how I make all my predictions. I just go the opposite <laughs> of whatever Andrew says. And, you know, I'm, I am actually recording this from a yacht right now. So, you know, there you tell you me go. who's winning. <laughs> Again, it's a, this is why I'm, I'm jealous of you, to go back to the very beginning of the no. podcast. You're doing uh, great. I, I like the the thinking on the Sixers though. I mean, that would be one where I would stay away. Just uh, you know, I'm nervous, but everything pretty much went right for them last year. You know, Embiid vastly exceeded our expectations for games played. Simmons had uh, a wonderful year, even though guys like you didn't give him credit and tried to throw him off during training camp. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think Fultz coming back. I still like his fit there. You know, I'm yes, yeah. I was upset that he didn't play in summer league, but I still like the fit. Um, I can see well, plenty of look, reasons for Sixers optimism too, but uh, you know we'll see. If if Fultz is is real and effective, and if he's even seventy percent of the player the Sixers thought they were drafting a year ago, like the Sixers will be in decent shape. It, it but a bet on Sixers optimism or Sixers overachieving this year is ba- it basically comes down to a bet on Fultz, and I'm not really there yet. And then beyond folds you look at the rest of their team like who wants to spend the next 10 months pretending wilson chandler is good you know like they it's just a tough situation beyond Embiid and simmons but i do think that vegas kind of looks at them as a public team and the internet loves them and that's probably why for the next couple years like their lines are going to be a little bit inflated because people just want to bet on the sixers because Embiid and simmons are that awesome and fun to root for it's the same thing we see with the Lakers and Knicks every year, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, They're in that yeah. category now. Okay, um, so well, let's can we get to the big fish here? What do you think about the Lakers line? I mean, that's, that's... what everyone was talking about, <laughs> and I noticed you didn't make it one of your locks, but I think the Lakers no. were at what forty eight point five. I mean, yeah. are you afraid of angering people by saying they should just pound the under or what? No, it's a it's a hardcore stay away for me. I, I'm not ever gonna bet against. Le- well, first of all, I'll, I'll bet against LeBron in a lot of contexts, but I'm not yeah, gonna bet you. against him here. But uh, I at the same time, like you're not gonna catch me betting for betting on Javale McGee or betting on Lance Stevenson, Lonzo. Like I don't trust any of those guys beyond LeBron and Ingram. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll bet. Under on the Lakers, 48.5 wins. Over on LeBron's production company with 48.5 television shows in the next <laughs> 12 months. Can we talk about this? Someone had a tweet the other day. LeBron is producing like 15 different documentaries in the next nine months. I, it's absurd how quickly this has gone from zero to 60 with like Spring Hill Entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember someone catching an awful lot of grief for saying as soon as LeBron signed that <laughs> this was a business move, not a basketball move. Now, are you ready oh, to man. are you ready to meet me in the middle on that one? But I would also I, say this because I've I've heard s- some people say, well, look, LeBron James Jr. He's not really newsworthy. Like, don't get ahead. Like, wait till he's like you know junior senior year in high school where you know he's officially like a top ten prospect or whatever before you start to hype the guy. I think that's just the wrong way to look at it. LeBron James Jr., because of his dad, is transcending your typical recruiting cycle. If you look at how many people he's got following him on social media already, he's more in like the Kardashian 
level of like youth stardom. Like he's more of a child star rather than like a, uh, you know, a basketball prospect, if that makes sense. Like he's sort of Kylie or, you know, however you pronounce that uh, Kendall, like in that group <laughs> as compared <laughs> as compared to just, you know, Zion Williamson. Right. Do you agree with me on that? Sure. Cause like I'm trying to defend our interest in him. I don't think we're just interested in him on the court. Right. Like, Whatever he does, it's going to be news one way or the other. And I think that's going to be true for the next five, six, seven years, even if he doesn't make the NBA. I'm just proud of you for somehow extending our streak of mentioning LeBron LeBron James Jr. in every podcast we've done this summer. I didn't know how we were going to get there after the World War II analogies to kick off the podcast. But you brought it home, so I appreciate that. It's important to be consistent. Um no, but do you hear Let's, what I'm saying though? Like with this whole LeBron I do, phenomenon, I do, I do. But I just, I like LeBron Jr. We are certainly he's he's going to be part of the story. It is still, it's it's going to be weird until he's at least 16 years old. Okay, this is too too much too soon. I, I well, understand. Let me where ask you this: coming from, will it be weird if his dad makes a TV show about him though? Like that could happen, right? Why wouldn't it? The, the recruitment or, you know, freshman year in high school or whatever. Like, if they made a TV show, would you be stunned by that? And then would it be weird for us to talk about it? I don't think so. I, I think people need to reframe their expectations for the level of scrutiny and attention that this family is going to get here in right. L.A. If you want my honest answer to that, I would be a little disappointed because part of what I have really enjoyed about LeBron over the last four or five years and following him on Instagram, it's like... He's a really good dad or seems to be and seems to be really into his family. And uh, and it's it's a little strange. I feel like I've watched them all grow up via like Instagram stories. But it, if he then turned around and like launched a reality show at the Crossroads High School, I that would bump me out. I think that'd be like a, an unhealthy move for the kid and kind of a weird look for LeBron. And so I would be bummed. But you're right that if that happens, he's fair game for everybody. Well, look, you beg for sneakers every week. I'll beg for tickets to the premiere of that show. Okay, that sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the red carpet. Let's do it right. Um, but so you're staying away on the Lakers at 48.5. Last one, though. What about the Warriors? 62.5. You know, last year Over. I, had Kev- I had Kevin Pelton on and I mocked his projections by saying, Oh come on! Like they're they would be able to win sixty seven games in their sleep or something something crazy along those lines, right? Um, yeah. And of course they went under. Uh, do you think that sixty two point five? That's an overcorrection. You think that they're going to be able to get over that easily? Um. Yeah, I do. Well, no, I don't. I think it's fair to to. What do you mean by overcorrection there? Well, doesn't that seem pretty low for a team that won? 73 not that long ago and you know everyone yeah, you're, you've okay. you've said they've made the league boring that they've ruined the league they just get cousins like is vegas putting 62.5 i mean that doesn't seem like this all-time great team to win 63 games based on their standard i mean they won no, 67 think, 73 67 i mean that they're pretty good no i think that they are that's vegas landing safely in the middle between what the Warriors did last year. I mean, do you remember how bad they looked at the end of the regular season last year? Granted, a lot of those games were without Steph, but they like they mailed it in to a degree that I really didn't think was possible. And so everyone should be on their guard or have their guard up for them doing that again this year. But uh 
at the same time, I think Boogie is going to kind of invigorate them in ways that should freak out the rest of the NBA. And I expect them to win 65 to 70 games. Um, actually, they'll probably never approach 70 again after like what happened in 2016. But like 65 seems like a, a decent bet for them. Um, if Boogie comes back in January and everybody kind of rallies around them and we just get to sit back and watch them like blow the doors off the league for the next couple months. I kind of feel like they're going over with or without Cousins just because I think Steph will have better health than he did last year. And yeah. they are just so obscene when he's on the court. You know, and they have both KD and Steph at their disposal. Forget about it. And I think a lot of what they were missing last year in terms of the spark and stuff, I think you know Steph doesn't get enough credit for providing that. You know, Maybe Draymond gets the credit or, like you're saying, like a, a volatile personality like Cousins gets the credit. But... I think Steph is enough of a night-to-night performer where he can, you know, pick you up and, and carry you with his shooting uh, more than he probably gets credit for in terms of sort of his emotional boost. So that's yeah. why I'd say go. That's why I'd say go over on Golden State. Okay. Well, speaking of Golden State, that's a nice little segue there. I'm not sure whether you did that on purpose, but moving on, Adam says. I just read Sharp's piece on a potential Draymond trade next summer, and I love it as a Warriors fan. Draymond is clearly the most replaceable part if they're trying to extend this reign and or and or keep KD happy. So, what do you guys think a trade package would look like for Draymond Green next summer? And he lists a bunch of examples. I I'll I'll leave some of the candidates to the side for a minute. What do you think, Ben? What's your gut reaction on on where Draymond would end up if Golden State ever did look to trade him. Well, first of all, slow down. You need to make your case for why Draymond's going to be going out the door. Now, people can read it on si.com slash NBA, of course, but give us like, you know, the 90-second summary version of why you think, you know, because here's the thing. It's sort of like you've been going to this all-you-can-eat buffet where, you know, you're trying to break up the Warriors' core and you're just kind of going down the (laughs) sampler list. And so you you started with Kevin Durant. I don't know what kind of food he would be. Maybe he's the pizza at the buffet. And you kind of got tired of trying to run him out of town. So now you've gone down to the next section of the all-you-can-eat buffet. Maybe it's the Chinese food. And now it's you've decided that it's going to be Draymond going out of town next. So no, come on. No, no, no. Explain listen. yourself here. Come on. Here's the thing. My dream scenario is Kevin Durant going to New York or L.A. next year and creating a new super team, LeBron grabbing Kawhi. I mean, look, if you take KD off the Warriors, there are suddenly four or five legitimate title contenders across the league, and I I would love to root for KD on his own team. And I would also love, 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 love to see Steph, Draymond, and Clay try to keep the, the Warriors run going just to screw with everyone and just to piss off the whole world because I've loved those guys all along. It would be awesome to see them kind of stubbornly continue to win. And I think I would like their chances in the first year or two at least. However, I have come to peace with the idea that the best case scenario is probably too good to be true. And that if you think about it logically it's still going to make more sense for Durant to stay in Golden State next summer and continue chasing titles out there. And because there's just, and we talked about this on the last podcast, we don't need to go back down that road. But if that happens, I could really see Durant kind of 
bristling next to Draymond after three straight years of getting cursed out every other day and just getting kind of exhausted by the whole thing. And I think if you talk to Warriors people throughout the year, that like that's a real thing with Draymond. Like he does, he's he's a lot to deal with on a daily basis and a weekly basis, and he he can turn it on in the playoffs, but like. His defense was starting to decline last year. His health has has been kind of touch and go. I mean, he played like he played with a bum shoulder for the final six months of last season, and his his shooting was non-existent in the playoffs. And he's about to be due a ton of money in 2020. And so, if you're just looking at this, like there are a lot of different factors that would make the Warriors amenable to a potential trade, particularly if it's something that KD signals would would make Golden State more attractive going forward. So that's that's kind of the case in a nutshell. It's purely speculation and it's also like the byproduct of having to continue to write about basketball through the middle of August. And so I I reserve the right to disavow all of this like by October, but it's just a thought. Is it more or less likely, or does it not matter if they win the title next year? That's that's an interesting question, because I think that's the best case for them not trading Draymond, is that the six-week window they would have to potentially make a deal would come immediately after winning their fourth title in five years. And It'd be like, like Dr- Draymond would be at the parade and like Lakeup would be on the phone call with somebody. Yeah, that might be a little awkward. Well, and I also think that like, even if you look strictly at Durant, like Durant during that Houston series did kind of have one foot out the door. I've talked to Warriors fans who feel that way. And I like, he was emotionally very difficult to read and was like that for most of the season. But then like, you go beat the shit out of some team from the Eastern Conference and look awesome and win another Finals MVP, like suddenly Golden State doesn't seem so bad. And that's kind of what happened with Durant. And so I think winning does kind of cure a lot of this. And that could happen with Draymond. Okay, so if they lose, you think the front office probably be more motivated to make a trade and a shakeup, but they would probably still be motivated to keep KD. So I think the most likely scenario would be they don't win the title and they decide, okay... We have to make a big splash. Draymond's the guy who's got to go. Can we agree on that? Yes, and I also think that if they win a title, the the only way this happens is if KD and Draymond are, are on kind of complicated terms and KD shadily goes to Bob Myers and says, look, if you want me to be here, we got to figure out a long-term plan, and which is kind of interesting in its own right, and it's also why this probably isn't going to happen, but it's it's something that I've been thinking about in these dead months. Yeah, I feel like this segment's going to have to be called Andrew Sharp Daydreams because you are getting a little <laughs> bit away <laughs> like a little bit away from reality on this one, but uh I can see it if they don't win the title. Let me put it that way. Like I could see it maybe being more likely than not that somehow that core shakes uh, you know, it gets broken up if they somehow don't win the title. And I I think that you're making a lot of points in terms of age uh you know, who's already locked in, who are the highest priorities in terms of, you know, everything from on-court play to marketability to everything else like that. Like, I think if you're the Warriors and you're opening that new building in San Francisco, like you would definitely want Steph and KD 
basically no matter what. Even if Draymond's been yeah. the fan favorite the whole way, like there's a difference between you know difference between being a fan favorite in the Bay and like having that sort of like global star power awareness being the show every single night. And I think that would you know certainly motivate them to keep KD you well, know as much as possible. And I would add that you know. Joe Lacob has been cultivating this persona all along of the like cold-blooded GM who wants to bring the NBA to its knees for the next 10 years. And like, you're not going to be able to do that if you're sentimental along the way. And that's another reason why I think a Draymond trade after winning a title next June is not likely, but it's not as far fetched as I think a lot of people would assume it is. And, and, and so Lakeup's part of that, the contracts part of that, there are a lot of factors that, that make it surprisingly um, plausible. Yeah. Um, well, you did lead with Katie being a snake who goes behind his teammates back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think the interpersonal dynamics between those two specifically are a little bit complicated sometimes. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, let's get on to some of these trade scenarios. I mean, I got to say, when I read your piece, the first thing that was kind of flashing to my mind was the player that LeBron needs in LA is Draymond. And if Draymond has to be traded, he's probably still at the point where he has some degree of leverage and sort of trying to help it, you know, make that happen. And if he has to kind of save face as being the guy who's like no longer part of the Warriors, like one way to do that would be to just plop him on the Lakers and he sort of like teams up with, you know, his former trash talking rival LeBron. I mean, there's almost like a professional wrestling vibe to that. Amazing. It would be a very wrestling move. And look, if you had everybody in the entire NBA, right, and you had two picks and you were going to try to beat the Warriors without Draymond, wouldn't the two picks, your first two picks, be LeBron and then Draymond? Like if you were trying to fashion a team, I mean, maybe Kawhi over Draymond, possibly for Durant defending purposes. But like if you're really trying to like, you know, if you're trying to sort of match up with them or be able to play with them stylistically, like those might be your first two picks in the entire league. So if you had a scenario where the Lakers cashed out some of their young guys uh, to you know who are still on rookie deals to Golden State for Draymond, I think that is a win-win-win. Like it could be a win for Golden State in terms of sort of like injecting some new youth and some more flexibility yeah. in terms of the contracts. It would be an obvious win for LeBron, who is really going to need some help next year. I think the whole not having a you know a superstar partner in LA is going to get old really quick. Uh, and then it would be a win for everybody else because, you know, I mean, imagine the ratings. You just put Draymond on the Lakers versus the Warriors. That would be crazy. It would be incredible. And I also, I could see LA signing another star next year, possibly Kawhi. And, but I, I can't really imagine them signing two superstars. And if LeBron is coming off like 45 wins and a first or second round playoff exit in LA... I can see everyone in Lakerland turning around and kind of panicking and trying to win and and get pieces in place to really make a run at a title next summer. In which case, like, if Golden State's thinking about trading Draymond or or would be open to to having the conversation, like, that gets interesting. Lakers' de- desperation plus Warriors' flexibility, like, I, I don't know. I, and thinking about... The, the Lakers trade package, Adam listed Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart. I don't think that would be enough, 
But I think if you threw in Lonzo in addition to those two, you could maybe get it done. Lonzo would be a, a wild fit in Golden State. I mean, currently can't shoot a lick and would be, but he's kind of, he's kind of like Sean Livingston. Can you imagine how many Lonzo jerseys the Warriors would sell? I mean, you'd sell so many jerseys both ways. On the, and like anytime you'd trade between those two teams, you'd be crazy. It would I think be wild. One, one hiccup for your scenario, though, is the list of teams who would be interested in trading for Draymond at that point of his career, knowing a big payday is coming, knowing he's basically going to be, you know, 30s, like right around the corner for him, I think would be surprisingly small, even though I value I him as probably one of the top 10 or 12 players in the league, like I, I do personally. Uh, I think you'd have to be a legit contender, like one piece away or already in the mix to want to trade for him, because I don't think you would trade for him if you're an average team hoping he's going to boost you up, right? Like you have to have major spending capability, completely committed ownership, and then also a lot of talent already on hand. And I think if you're Golden State, it'd be similar to the San Antonio situation with the Kawhi deal where you'd want to be selective in who you actually trade him to. You wouldn't, if you had your druthers, you wouldn't want him to be in the Western Conference, you know? Right. You wouldn't want him to to be in the Blazers or Rockets. Or yeah, or somebody who you're going to have to face in the playoffs, and so maybe that complicates a Lakers move. Uh, but then also in the Eastern Conference, like you know Boston, would they need him at, at that point? Maybe not. You know, maybe Toronto. You know, who knows? Like it would have to be a team already kind of lined up in that position. You know, Philly, yeah. someone like that, where you know Draymond winds up being the guy who takes them from say like being a 60 win team to being a team that's like pencil us into the finals, right? Yeah, I mean, there are very few teams that fit the requisite criteria for for Draymond and for the Warriors and, and for their own needs. I mean, because like you said, I mean, the, the baseline is that Draymond is twice as valuable to a team that is like going to be contending deep into May and June. And, and if he... If, you throw Draymond on the Bulls next year, like that team is still probably winning 30 or 35 games. And so he can only help so much. The only, like the Lakers would be amazing for all kinds of reasons. And God, I hope it happens. Uh, The only other team that I could see really making that move is Toronto. If they can somehow manage to bring back Kawhi next summer, then turning around and Masai saying, all right, let's really make a run at this and giving up, OG, Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam, and a couple other young guys who would make sense for the Warriors if you're trying to fill out that rotation with young, versatile pieces around Clay and Steph and Durant. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I think no matter what, if you're Golden State, giving like Draymond is more valuable to Golden State than he will be to like 90% of the league. So if they're trading him, they're going to take a hit regardless. I'm curious, was the reaction to this piece people calling you an idiot or saying it will never happen? Or did you have, did you find some open minds like the emailer? Um, It was mixed. (laughs) At this point, I think we're in like, we really are in the dead zone of the off season. So there were, there's just like, we're all kind of sleepwalking through here. Some, some warriors people though, said it's not implausible and that like this this is a real thing and then i saw some other warriors people saying this is real but i do not want to talk about this uh because they love draymond and then there were some other people calling me a a dipshit and the like (laughs) which is totally fair so um 
it was it was mixed but it's that i mean this is just the tip of the iceberg with like wild warrior speculation and there are a lot of different ways this can go i think the real takeaway from what i was writing is that like draymond is 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 kind of as fungible a piece as durant is if you're projecting the next five years of golden state yeah, and that's a it's a point well taken. And sometimes geniuses, you know, they're not uh, truly appreciated in their own time, Andrew. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> so not by Warriors fans. So I applied you sticking your neck out, taking a taking a crack at it, and you know, th- I I hope that they win the title next season and then mock you personally at the rally and then re-sign everybody to max deals. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder. I I honest to God. The Warriors have been so uninteresting for the last two years. I just can't imagine them going through that for another ten months. And well, for the I guess one one bow to put on this, that probably won't happen because I think that the Celtics will be able to push Golden State harder than anyone has really pushed Golden State thus far. And well, and so maybe the conversation will be different after the finals this year. But if it's not, I can't imagine everyone sitting out there and deciding to run it back just because I think like the grumbling from the rest of the NBA and the sports world is going to get really loud and uh there's going something is going to have to change at some point. You don't see KD just baptizing Tatum in the in the uh, finals, you know. <laughs> you don't yeah, see maybe. him just putting up 40 light, no problem. I look the Celtics have always been weirdly effective going back to 2016 when the Celtic that Celtics team sucked and the the Warriors were the best team in regular season history and Brad Stevens finds a way again Mr. Celtic over here I apologize to everyone but uh I think the gap yeah, will be closer than people this realize. is rough can't we get back to like making fun of John Wall pictures or something like this? I mean, whatever happened to this supposed Wizards fan I've been dealing with for the last two years? He is soldier soul, man. This is crazy. It's awful. I apologize. Um, should we jump straight to podium here to to wrap it up? Actually, one one more question before the podium. We have a robust uh, list of nonsense questions today, but Sydney says. Hey guys, there's been a lot of Jersey talk on recent Open Floor episodes. My favorite jersey is Blake Griffin's Adidas Red Swingman jersey for the Clippers. I got it in the 6th grade after falling in love with him for jumping over a car. I recently bought his Motor City jersey right after he was traded to Detroit because I'm a diehard fan now and there's no turning back. My question for you guys, what NBA jersey should I be buying trusting that that player will not leave his team in let's say the next 10 years um i have a lot of thoughts on this first of all the blake clippers jersey is already kind of sad but the blake motor city jersey is an (laughs) all-time depressing purchase i mean have you seen those jerseys those gray jerseys Yes, I have, Andrew. But first things first, the first thought should be checks over stripes, okay? We need to just say that right up front. I mean, that <laughs> makes the Clippers jersey that much uh, more depressing. But yes, the, the Motor City Detroit jersey, I mean, that could be a jersey that is already defunct, you know, in February. Like, the, the shelf life yeah. on that one is real quick. 
Well, and if you were asking me to pick the most depressing jersey in the NBA, I think I would maybe pick the gray Motor City Pistons jerseys. And that's before you start to grapple with like the Blake Griffin side of that equation. I don't know. It's just a lot to to deal with, with with the Blake Pistons jersey. No, there's layers to it. I mean, don't count out the Pau Gasol Spurs camouflage jersey in terms of just... (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's pretty, pretty rough. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, no, I... I mean, credit to Sidney for sticking with his guy. I I think... I I will say to make amends, because we're kind of clowning him. I thought Blake's dunk over the car dunk contest was actually underrated. I know... That's a very counterintuitive take. Everyone loves to make fun of it and say he shouldn't have won that dunk contest. I thought that dunk was fantastic. You know, he was going through some stuff on his personal life at that point. You know, a friend died and all that. For him to rise to the moment and, you know, jump over that car, even if it was only the hood, I felt like he deserved more credit than he got for people calling it a stunt. I think Blake was before his time. Nobody's done a stunt better than that. So it's sort of like the best stunt in contest uh, contest history, if, if you look at it that way. Uh, that's all the nice things I can say about this email. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it's just I, dark. I didn't really love that dunk contest because that was, I think that was the same contest where JaVale McGee tried to dunk like four basketballs at once. It was just, it was rough. Uh, I do really like Blake Griffin though. Anyways, do you have a favorite basketball jersey? Is there any anything from your past? Because we were also asked by asked about that, um, and I forget who asked it. But do you have a favorite? I mean, I have a lot of jerseys. Maybe I should put those on Instagram, Andrew. What do you think? Should I put yeah, that on Ben Doc Oliver on on my Instagram stories for there, some people? I might do that. There's no such thing as bad content, Ben. We the people want more Ben Doc Oliver in their lives. Okay, I wouldn't say this is my favorite, but it's a it's a good one. I've got Chris Mullen St. John's jersey. Uh, that's pretty uh, deep cut. That's very I've solid. Got, I've got like probably 12 or 15 different Jordan jerseys, a bunch from the all-star games. I went through a real F-A-B-O-L-O-U-S phase, you know, in college. <laughs> so I've got a lot of Mitchell Ness gear. I've got a Iverson jersey. I've got a Magic Lakers jersey. I've got a Drexler uh, Blazers jersey. Um, I don't know. I, I have the 1996 all-star shorts. I don't know if you've seen those. They're really ugly green uh, from the San Antonio all-star game. Uh, I'm a big yeah. fan of those shorts. Uh, I could go on and on, Andrew. This but is, this have... is great off-season radio. We're literally just reciting shit that's in our closet. You're doing great. Um... Okay. Well, what's your favorite if you're going to mock me again? Here, here you go <laughs> with the condescension. <laughs> just because you don't have another, the shorts, you have to come at another me. Another slight that is just going to linger for the next seven days. I will. I have three favorite jerseys. Number one uh raptors vince carter which is now way too small for me but it's something i got in like 1998 his rookie year um or maybe no it's around 2000 either way i was like 12 years old and uh it came after vince's dunk contest and um so that's like a lifelong favorite and then teal gilbert arenas authentic wizards jersey Oh, very nice. Very bright, nice. Yeah, a bright yellow Kevin Durant Sonics jersey. Those are those are my two kind of unicorn jerseys that I will take with me wherever I go for the rest of my life. And both Wait, so of those... I, I, going along with those, I've got a Wizards Michael Jordan jersey. Uh, it's it's Ugh, kind of on the cheaper side, but it's uh, it's that blue color. You know, I'm a big fan of that one. 
And I've also got a customized Kevin Durant Blazers jersey. So after draft Kevin Durant failed and they took Odin, I was That's able to so get a part. I was able to get a parting gift, and it's a black Blazers jersey with Durant thirty five on the back. Um, I think I've only worn it once to a game that was you know years and years ago. But honestly, uh, I don't think you should. People would think that you're trolling if you wore that to a Blazers game. Like that's a, a very passive aggressive move. Well, look, Andrew, I mean, I took a lot of crap. <laughs> like I was in the, the people <laughs> were not with me on that decision. OK, so I had to take my victory lap once. Yeah, I'm just saying any Blazers fan who tries to fight you isn't necessarily wrong in that scenario. But um, OK, hey, can we answer this guy's question, though, in should. terms of we should. which jerseys are going to be the longest, you know, maintaining, you know, going forward? Because you can't pick a guy like Westbrook, who's obviously going to be with the Thunder probably his whole career because he's already halfway through his career, right? Or you couldn't pick Curry, who I would imagine is probably going to retire a warrior because, you know, he's almost 30. I mean, who did mm-hmm. you see as these younger guys who are going to be those franchise players who never get moved, who are just sort of the icon-type players? Well, okay. Um, you could pick Jason Tatum, but you you don't want to become – part of the mindless Celtics army, the sons of Brad Stevens. You don't want to make the same mistake that I have made, clearly. Uh, so Tatum, let's say, is too easy. The two that I thought about are, number one, Donovan Mitchell jazz jersey. You can't really go wrong. I would also say a Ricky Rubio jazz jersey if you're looking for like <laughs> a more hipster spin on everything because no matter what, people are always going to... Like Rubio is probably going to be in Utah for maybe like another year or two, but people will always look back with delight on him showing up in Utah and looking like a completely different person and reinventing himself as like grizzled veteran Ricky Rubio, even though he's 26 years old. Um, So I think those two, you can't go wrong, but honestly, and I haven't bought a Jersey in a really long time. If I were buying a Jersey today, I think Joel Embiid, on the Sixers is like kind of the coolest player you can rep at this point. And he's another guy who knows where he'll be in 10 years, but people will always look back on Embiid Sixers run with like nothing but nostalgia. Uh, in the same way, the Teal Gilbert Jersey is still awesome to me. I, th- I think like the Embiid thing, no matter what happens, will age pretty well. Both really good picks. I mean, Donovan Mitchell almost is in that too obvious category for me. He feels like he's on that Damian Lillard track where he's just going to have his own team and, you know, the fans are going to love him so much and they're going to give him the max extension the first day they're able to give it to him. And that's just going to be how that goes. He also doesn't quite seem to have like the Ben Simmons vibe where, you know, Simmons, you kind of wonder like how many years until he's a Laker, right? Like eventually at some (laughs) point, he's going to have, you know, designs on that kind of a move. I well, like where you're going with Embiid, too. When Simmons leaves, people will be looking at him and, and ask, like, was he ever really a Sixer? Whereas whatever – Embiid could get traded, like, in a month. And he he was very clearly a Sixer in a way that, like, no one other than Iverson and Dr. J have been. So he's, he's good regardless. Simmons, it'll take a little while for, for that loyalty to accrue. I couldn't help but notice, though, Andrew, that you didn't mention – my guy Giannis or Porzingis. 
I mean, should oh, those guys be in this conversation or no? <laughs> should they? Um, I mean, like, no, because there's counter arguments. You could say, look, Giannis isn't a done deal in Milwaukee. Or you could say Porzingis isn't going to be able to stay healthy. And, like, that jersey could get really sad in a couple of years, you know, on the darker side of things. Should either one of those guys be in this mix? Yeah. Um, the Porzingis concerns, I think, are valid and too much for me to, to put him in this jersey mix because I think like if his career he hasn't been good enough like his highs haven't been as high as in, as a in, uh, guy like Embiid for instance and so I just I would stay away that that has some like Motor City Blake Griffin jersey potential um and then Giannis, look, you can't go wrong with Giannis. The official stance of this podcast is everyone should go out and buy a Giannis jersey as soon as possible. So I, that's on me, and I apologize for screwing that up. Okay, one more dark horse. I'm glad you came around with the Giannis take. I was going to get worried you were going to try to break my heart here and say it wasn't a, a good investment. It's a great investment. Giannis Inc. depends on it. Now, right. dark, dark horse selection. How about Jamal Murray in Denver? Uh, I just feel <laughs> no, like he's a terrible f- idea. <laughs> Come Why on. not? He's a baller. He can score. Like you don't want to buy an MB jersey. You really want to walk around like a seven foot three guy. You're just average Joe. Like you, you know, dude. You have there to have a guard so many... that you can <laughs> no. relate to, who's gonna really blow up next season. I think Murray. First of all, I think he's gonna have a great year next year. I think he's gonna be one of these. Like I saw on the over unders that their number was really high, and people were kind of freaking out about about it. I think there's good reason for that. I mean, getting Millsap back is a big deal, but their young guys are really good. And I think you're totally sleeping on Murray's marketability, his scoring potential. He's got some, you know, stones, some cojones, some shot making. I mean, I just don't think he's like that much uh, less fun to root for or to attach yourself to than a guy like Mitchell or Lillard or some of these other guards in this conversation. I mean, Dude. why not? <laughs> I I understand what you're saying from a basketball perspective, and clearly you just got off like a three-hour phone call with Rob Mahoney where you talked through Jamal Murray's ceiling next year. So I'll I'll concede that that he's going to be better than people realize next season. But if I actually ran into somebody who was wearing like a Jamal Murray jersey outside of Denver, I would be uh, I would be like uh, like take it down a notch, man. <laughs> you're you're overthinking this. Jamal Murray is fine, but let's not get carried away. And maybe maybe the conversation will be different like seven months from now. But every time I watched Jamal Murray in Nuggets games last year, he would have like a, an awesome quarter and then he would disappear inexplicably. And he's been like that his entire career in the NBA thus far. So I'm in hardcore wait and see mode before we crown him. Yeah, I just, first of all, I... I'm against wearing big men jersey in general. You know, I think you have to be. That's a, you know, that's a fair e- point on Embiid. Even Durant is kind of pushing it. You know what I mean? So I don't know if I'd really want to be wearing an Embiid jersey. I feel like that's kind of against the spirit. Like if you can't really relate to the guy whose jersey it is that you're wearing, yeah. you know, you're feels right. a little bit weird. And then, I mean, like I'm trying to picture you in an Embiid jersey walking down the street. <laughs> like <laughs> it's kind of a funny mental image. I, I can see the Gilbert jersey. I just can't really see the MB jersey, you know? Like, are people going to come up to you and be like, how's the weather up there? Like, make all these tall jokes and you're just like, dude, yeah. I'm looking at you. We're the same height. <laughs> you know? I don't know. It just seems a little hey, no. off. I just think, and I also think there's Mitchell, people know about him, right? Like, he's already yeah. 
been discovered. Like he's got these crazy t-shirts from Adidas, you know, are you really a rookie or whatever? Like he's already arrived. I'm trying to help this guy latch onto someone who maybe hasn't had his moment yet. I think that that's fair. Jamal Murray, here's the real reason. Okay. We're going to have a quick five second Andrew Sharp reports. Jamal Murray might just be soft and (laughs) I'm sorry. So I wouldn't want to wear a jersey of a guy who may or may not be soft, okay? We'll have to wait and see what he turns into this year. But at the moment, I wouldn't want to take the risk. And to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, when you were talking about big men and I was thinking about Jamal Murray being soft, another great option would be to just go buy a Patrick Beverly Clippers jersey because that's a little guy and everybody should want to be a little bit more like Patrick Beverly and nobody and a, a fellow NBA fan is going to see you wearing that and be like hell yeah Patrick Beverly's fucking awesome it's not going to be like a, a Jamal Murray like what are you trying to say here everyone can agree what someone in a Patrick Beverly jersey is trying to say yeah he's trying to say I'm at the hospital this is a gown they're forcing me to wear that's what they're trying to say <laughs> buy a gown and put his name on the back of it come on man what about booker i mean he just got the deal like is is a son's booker jersey cool no well a booker jersey would be cool a son's jersey is not so cool so that's a harder sell for me i'm surprised you didn't stand out for beal are you worried he's not going to be around uh no but we we should have a little bit longer discussion about beal and booker at some point next week actually because there's a, a question we skipped but they are both intertwined in a take that has been marinating in my brain. So well, let's talk about them at some point. Okay, if- I want to wrap this up. I want to wrap up this conversation then with a little flip question to what he's asking. What are the worst jersey investments right now based on like how quickly these guys might be gone from their current teams, but also factoring in how lame the jerseys are, you know, how weird repping for that person might be in terms of like sort of some of the bigger name type guys, who would you see as being some of the worst investments? Um, it's hard because like, I would say probably number one to me would be Hassan Whiteside for the heat. <laughs> like, oh my I mean, God. That's that just, a terrible. Yeah. Just burn your money. Yes, well, because he's got he's got the big man problem. Also, may not even start this year. Actually, even worse, he's going to be the token starter who who doesn't play the fourth quarters. But it's funny when you talked about the worst jersey investments. I would not feel comfortable buying any Lakers jersey of any Laker who isn't LeBron James. Even like any of those guys could be gone by December. So tread carefully out there. Even even Brandon Ingram fans. I mean, what about Jimmy in Timberwolves jersey? Or I mean, Wiggins. That's a pretty. That's a pretty rough <laughs> Wiggins one. Wiggins is dark. Look, I I don't want to bring this back to Blake and to, to Sydney's jersey, but I really don't think that you're going to do any worse than the Motor City Blake Griffin jersey. Okay, it's gray. It's Blake. The Pistons are going to go win 41 games next year. I, there's just there's a lot of emotional baggage you have to deal with. I can think of one worse jersey on that team, and it would be Root Canal, Reggie Jackson, Motor City, <laughs> Pistons jersey. No, Just, look, that had some ironic appeal. I will, I'll buy a, a Reggie Jackson jersey. Oh God, we should have a um, we should have a crowdsourcing page to, to get you a Reggie Jackson jersey. 
yes. What's the opposite of charity? Um, let's move on though. Podium. We've already gone way too long, so we'll we'll try to zoom through these. Giovanni says. I was listening to the last episode of Open Floor, and I had to press pause immediately and write to you at the 40-minute mark. Pardon my French, but Andrew, WTF do you, do you mean by saying just a Twitter user named Michaelino? Please be respectful since you are referring to the great Mike Hall, longtime professional basketball player in Italy and an absolute idol between us Olympia Milano fans, also known as Armani Milano, the basketball club of my city. And for anyone who didn't listen to the last podcast, Mike Hall, uh, he was the guy who described seeing John Wall walk into a club and two minutes later, steal a group of women from somebody who had just spent $1,000 at the bar. John Wall is doing great. And another follow-up to our John Wall segment from last week uh, regarding John Wall's... Wait, hold on. Before we get to that, though, is there a chance that Mike Hall told that story on Twitter in the third person, even though it was him who bought the liquor for $1,000 and had John Wall swipe all the women? Is that possible now that we know he's this big-time famous Italian guy who you hadn't heard of but you know it you really, obviously offended yeah, giovanni it, it really depends on where this all happened i don't to my knowledge john wall has not been in italy so i don't think that mike hall slash michaelino really has that much cachet in america so it absolutely could have been him wasting a thousand dollars on liquor and i hope it wasn't though because he sounds great yeah he sounds like our new hero we should all get mike hall jerseys don't you think <laughs> good investment <laughs> Absolutely. Um, anyways, another wall follow-up after his Sunday uh, day party with Mr. Ruggs. My friend Muse writes in and says, Just FYI, Mr. Ruggs' first name is Daryl, so Ben was correct. Ah. It definitely is D. Ruggs. <laughs> also, according to this article, he got Fabulous shot in the leg while he was robbing Sebastian Telfair. Um, second fabulous mention on today's podcast. The off season is going great, and I don't even know what to say. I love that Sebastian Telfair is somehow involved in this, and that that backstory is so much better than anything I could have imagined for Mister Rugs. Uh, so hats off to him. No, I was very confident that I was right. His name would be D Rugs, but that really came through uh, in a big, big time way. Uh, explains a lot, and I would be even more worried if I were you after reading the backstory about you know where the Wizards are going. Yeah, if uh, you know this is John Wall's new running mate. I absolutely am, um, but I bet it was a great day party. So good for John Wall and good for Mister Rugs. Uh, continuing on though, Karen says. Hey guys, last Friday I drove up to San Antonio to see a college friend I hadn't seen in a couple of years. I was nervous because so much had changed since I'd last seen him and I had a hard time imagining what we would talk about. We went to lunch and while he was perfectly friendly, our conversations weren't going anywhere. We couldn't get past the small talk phase, which I am especially bad at. Eventually, my friend gave up on communicating and pulled out his phone. It was actually pretty awkward. After a few minutes had passed, I decided to make one last try at recapturing our friendship, 
So I asked him what he was looking at online. He said, some jackass just called Tim Duncan a B-plus player. And I, having listened to your podcast, knew exactly who he meant. I told him about you, Andrew, how you hate on my Rockets constantly and how you are a hedgehog. He said you sounded more like a weasel. We spent the next 30 minutes deciding what rodent you are most like. Um, I don't know. I don't know where to begin here, Ben. I will say we heard from a number of people in Texas about the Tim Duncan as a B-plus player uh, analysis that I offered on last week's podcast. I do want to apologize. What I really meant is that Tim Duncan had a great career. What I really meant is that when Tim Duncan was playing Shaq, he was Paul Millsap. And that's the end of it. We don't need to overthink it. Tim Duncan was awesome, and I respect him completely. But Shaq turned Tim Duncan into Paul Millsap. That's how I feel. You are absolutely insane. Well, first of all, I'm glad you could be an icebreaker for what sounded like a very awkward meetup. And I'm glad they could bond over, you know, shared interests in in mocking you. I mean, certainly that's helped me further a lot of friendships in my day. Can um, I add something, though? Yes. I... I too initially was happy that I could help bring these two people together, but this other guy, and I don't really know how real this story really was, but whoever Karen is sitting down with just giving up on communicating and pulling out your phone at a lunch with someone you haven't seen since college is like a level beyond awkward. That is like a direct shot at the person you're sitting down with. And so I don't think Karen should be friends with this person. And I'm sorry that I kind of prolonged their relationship beyond the the natural end point. Well, I just let you say that because I wanted to Google head-to-head stats for Tim Duncan and Shaq in the playoffs. (laughs) They were 15 and 15. So, you know, that's pretty even. Duncan averaged more points, more rebounds, more assists. So, I don't know. Not only does he have more rings, but you know, what do you arguably mean a better more rebounds and assists and and points. I I don't believe in, that in a head to head in the playoffs. In the playoffs, they were fifteen and fifteen in thirty games. Duncan averaged twenty five point six, thirteen, and three point eight. Shaq averaged 22.4, 12.8, I mean, I know it's hard to believe because you think of Tim Duncan <laughs> as this, like, decrepit old person, you know. But in reality, do, you know what? he was good basically your entire life. He was an A-plus <laughs> playing basketball, and you just didn't pay attention until, like, the last five years of it. Uh, I don't know. I think a lot of people think of Shaq's peak as being like those three titles with the Lakers when in reality he was completely unstoppable for almost a decade and so everyone's like oh Shaq he had a, a brief peak but Tim Duncan had the longevity I it's fine we could agree to disagree the numbers I think something about those statistics must be skewed because between 1998 oh, okay. <laughs> and 2005 Shaq was so much better than Tim Duncan and the, well, the peak look, of Shaq, I'll, do you at least acknowledge that peak Shaq was better than peak Duncan? Well, I'll say this. I'll give you that Shaq had a decade peak as long as you give me that Duncan had a two-decade peak because the guy was an unbelievable 
top 10 player for basically his entire career if you're looking at overall impact. So if you want to expand this you know, definition of when Shaq was supposedly at his peak, I mean, let's expand Duncan's and, and give him his credit for basically being twice as long as Shaq's. Okay, fair enough. I And, and I want to be very clear that that's not how I appraise the greatest <laughs> players of all time and it's not how other people should but for for whatever reason Duncan just hung around averaging 14 points a game for so long oh. that everyone was like this guy is the fifth best player of all time I think you're just saying this now hoping that these two emailers are going to get together or someone's going to get pregnant they're gonna get maybe they're going to get married <laughs> after they listen to this yeah <laughs> uh well let's move on before i alienate more texans um avi says if you want to see the new Giannis shoes here is tinker hatfield's personal email i'm not going to read the personal email here is his assistant's email i'm sure you can do a piece about shoes or something much of the important creative creative activity at nike happens in a room called the kitchen Employees are allowed to bring guests in there if you sign some sort of non-disclosure agreement. Ben, the, this is the exact email I've been waiting for. The, these are the emails we want at openfloormail at gmail.com. This is information I can use to personally stalk Tinker Hatfield and his assistant and get one step closer to the Giannis shoes. What do you think? Andrew, the whole concept of an NDA is that you're not going to talk about it after it happens. If they listen to you week in, week out on this podcast, begging for shoes, they're not even going to give you the option of going there and signing an NDA because they know you're going to spill the beans as soon as you get out of that meeting. I will say I've spent, you know, a relatively good amount of time on Nike's world campus. Uh, There was a LeBron event there a few years ago, a couple other things along the way. If you haven't been, and this goes for everybody, not just you, you should go. And, you know, I think if you're just going to sort of, you know, one foot in, one foot out, this begging, uh, you know, that you've been doing here on the podcast, I think you might as well go all the way in. So let's <laughs> go ahead, all back up, make your plea, make your case to the Nike employees. So maybe they'll give you an employee store tour. You can get some discounts on some gear, get some Carolina gear and some other jerseys no. <laughs> uh, go ahead i mean just be completely shameless with it just no, do what it would, i do when i ask for five-star reviews it would honestly it would be an email to tinker himself where i'm like listen man i love the jordan 11s i am not really in a place where i can wear basketball shoes in my daily life anymore I haven't really spent a lot of money on basketball shoes for four or five years now but oh, I you're just, gonna play the poverty <laughs> angle. Good, good, good I call. Just desperately want a, a pair of the new Giannis shoes. I want, I want them six months before they come out. Can you please hook me up? I won't share them publicly, and and then yeah, maybe I will have to send in some clips from Open Floor where we talk about Giannis uh, and rhapsodize about his global branding pot- potential, so that he knows that I'm on the right team. Um, but either way, I think. At some point, <laughs> this is going to get me fired. So I'll, I'll try to keep most of it offline. I was going to say about halfway through you explaining your plan, your, your your email that you're drafting right now, I had the thought that it really shouldn't be this hard. Like, come on, Andrew. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got more juice than this. Come on. We do. We do. And also like... All of our colleagues do because that half of Instagram is just other basketball reporters I know posting the free stuff they get. So at some point we're gonna make it our mission to get a couple 
pairs of the Giannis shoes. Um, <laughs> and, and at this point, it's getting sad. But moving on from uh, McKay, he says, why does Ben have a blue check by his name on Twitter and Andrew doesn't? I Self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah (laughs) fuck you (laughs) um i do not want to be verified on twitter whereas i believe did you seek out your verification or did it come like overnight randomly come on andrew don't you can't you can't ask me i'm in the club you're not in the club i can't just tell you how it works (laughs) okay well i have gone out of my way to not be verified so yeah, I think um, I. It's honestly been a long time, but I feel like there was a whole wave of people who all got verified either at SI or CBS, where they just sort of like did them all in a in a batch. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I felt like it was a cool thing, and I don't know if it's still a cool thing or not, but it's uh, it's been a while. Well, and and what's funny is that during those that that wave of verifications. Um, I thought it was a cool thing to not be verified on Twitter. And in the like two or three years since Twitter has turned into an absolute cesspool and just <laughs> like the absolute worst of our society. And so now if I have to be on Twitter and promoting stuff, I might as well be verified, but I don't understand how the process works and I'm too lazy to go pursue it. Uh, but just, nothing about uh, Twitter just, is cool anymore. Either way, verified or unverified. Just email Tinker. I'm sure that he'll be able to hook you up. <laughs> just you know, Tinker, hook me up, man. I love the Jordan 11s. Um, Greg says, this is the last question. Have either of you played Fortnite, and do you know of any players that are really into the game? I know Ben will say he is a reality-based person and doesn't have time for childish games, but it is incredibly popular, even with athletes, and heavily based on building. It could provide the same joy of building something that Legos do, especially in the new playground mode where you can have the whole map to yourself and construct whatever you want. Ben, have you played Fortnite? I haven't played a video game in a long, long time. I used to like video games. I used to get really into FIFA and I'd just, you know, throw the controllers if I lost. You know, I had a lot of anger management issues during my video game stage. So it's it's probably for everyone's benefit that I don't play anymore. Greg did a phenomenal job selling me on Fortnite. Uh, so I give him credit for that. He almost piqued my interest. I, is there a virtual reality component to this? Because I think the only video games I've experienced I've had in the last few years have been at like virtual reality demos where I've like, you know, shot three pointers in a three point contest or like been in some sort of like big, like brouhaha battle with like other, uh, you know, comic book characters or something along those lines. That's pretty much all I've got. So if there's not a VR component to Fortnite, I don't see it. It's funny you mentioned FIFA because I recently played like three weeks ago. I was with some friends and played someone else's PlayStation and it was like a Saturday night. We were all just hanging out and got back into FIFA for the first time in eight years and got very into it that night. And then the next day made an impulse purchase of a PlayStation 4 oh. with FIFA. And I've played an embarrassing amount of FIFA over the last couple weeks. And it's a problem. Well, I'm definitely going to well, have to cut it well. out of my life. So I haven't crossed the Fortnite bridge yet. In large part because if, like, Fortnite is clearly the most 
addictive game on the planet and so i don't need that in my life greg unfortunately i'm sure it's cool but i just don't need to go there uh particularly since i'm already grappling with a a fifa addiction at this point well 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 andrew didn't this podcast wrap up completely perfectly (laughs) in circular fashion why don't you get back to whatever it is you do during the summer (laughs) aka Play video games like an adolescent teenager. It's terrible. Well, I'll get to to some very heavy intellectual learning with my yes. my uh, very close friend Rob Mahoney. But in the meantime, you know what all of our listeners sh- should be doing in the off season, Andrew. Whatever it is they're doing is going to Apple Podcasts, finding our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Scroll down. It says rate and review. Tap five stars. We had somebody who told us this week, Andrew, that. The first thing he did on his new cell phone was subscribe to Open Floor and give us the five star rating. Now that is true Open Floor Globe devotion. I love it, Andrew. I also want to solicit power rankings of these World War II countries. No. I know there's some history buffs <laughs> no. out there. There's some assistant professors. You know, there's some uh, you know people who are grad students. Break it down for us because I'm sure we said some things that were truly inaccurate early on. I want to hear from the experts what they yes. think and. And Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. No, I look, I just want to be very clear before we sign off. I'm not a World War II historian, so I apologize to anyone who uh, may be offended by uh, my or your ignorance. Also, send us whatever emails you want about World War II. We are never getting into that again on the podcast. Uh, But who knows what you'll be into this time next week. So I will talk to you soon, Ben. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.